very, very eager to, to get in the Word this morning. Uh, just want to give you, if you're, if you're new with us, if you're visiting with us, we're uh, doing a three-part series during the Christmas time of Advent. Advent. Advent meaning basically just preparation. Preparation for what's coming. Preparation for the gift of God that's coming. Advent. First, last week, uh, Brian, Pastor Brian talked about the promise. God's promises to his people that we, have, we live in the reality of a broken world. We don't have to go very far or go in our minds very much to know that we live in a, in a broken place. There's, there's pain aplenty. Um, part of the journey is that we have a promise that God is going to redeem and restore and renew. And boy, that's salve to our wounds, isn't it? God's doing something. And ultimately, the promise is he's going to seal the deal. And there won't be any more pain. There won't be any suffering any longer. There will come a day when that's going to happen. He promised to do that way back when, thousands of years ago. And we're seeing still, we're still in the second part, which I'm talking about this week, which is the waiting part. You have a promise, and then you have the waiting. Um, Those of you who have children, you found out you were pregnant at one point there in the journey. And you're like, yes, and you tell people, and you're very excited, and rightfully so. And then you have the waiting part. And you're waiting. And that last, what, week, a couple weeks before delivery, you're like, the waiting becomes just crazy. She's uncomfortable, and you're just, can't wait to meet this little one, especially if it's your first. Uh, our firstborn just got back from college. We're very thankful that Mitchell's here with the family. Again, it feels complete. But I remember when he was born, or right before he was born, uh, Wendy's mom was telling us, well, really telling the heir, hurry up. Hurry up, baby. We didn't know if it was Mitchell yet. We didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. But she was like, she was like in our living room just saying, hurry up. I, I've, I've only had so much time I took off of work, and it's getting towards the end. <laughs> Remember that, sweetheart? Hurry up, hurry up. There's an excitement there. You get the promise, but then the waiting in the words of the prophet, the prophet. Go to the next slide, please, Lauren. Tom Petty. <laughs> who has no idea who Tom Petty is? I figured this song is like for those 40 and above. I was a kid when it came out. I was young, young, young when it came out. Probably a baby. I wasn't even born yet. I'm only in my 20s. The words of Tom Petty, the waiting is the hardest part. Every day you see one more yard. You take it on faith. You take it to the heart. The waiting is the hardest part. Now this song is all about girls. (laughs) That's why I said this when I said prophet. If you're listening to this later on, I did. Quotation around prophet. Yeah, it's the, it's the hardest part, isn't it? Okay, so young and old agree this is true. Who knows this is true? The promise is one thing. The waiting for the promise to be fulfilled is a whole other thing. All right? So because we took somebody that's old, like Tom Petty, older, let's go to the young example because I just want to give you more proof that this is true for all ages, especially during Christmas. Why are you crying, bud? That's Lev. Um, Jake, you're here, right? How long ago was that video taken? A week? Last week. Wait, wait, one more time. Now that you know what it is, it's short. Play it one more time, will you? Why are you crying, bud? Christmas, I wanted to be Christmas. 
When you have, I could just say, all right, let's pray. Let's go home and let's, let's pray for comfort. But we all relate to little Lev, right? I want it to be Christmas. And he's, he's, he's distraught. That's legitimate tears. Jake said they were laughing for hours and hours, he and his wife. But the reality is, yeah, I want it to be Christmas, but I want it to be Christmas now. I don't want to wait. The waiting is the hardest part. Why can't we just jump to Christmas? When you were kids and you saw presents under the tree, Lord willing, you wanted to rip those open every single morning you saw them under the tree, but you knew there were still, what, three weeks that seemed like an eternity, right? But you know what? We all have a Christmas we're waiting for, don't we? I want to open it now, God. I want to open it now. You promised it, but how long do I have to wait? How long, O oh Lord? You know, how long? How long do we have to wait? How long do you have to wait for different things? We can all relate. We all have a Christmas. We're all like Lev, crying out to God, saying, God, when is it going to be Christmas? I just want what you promised. We're going to look at an Old Testament example. And so turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. We're going to look at the blessed one, Hannah. Hannah is an amazing character in the Bible, and I, and I thought, you know, I really, really feel, even before I knew I was going to talk about the waiting, talking about Hannah, Hannah was already a story in my heart, been reading it. First Samuel, it's before the Psalms and the Proverbs. I'm reading out of the uh, New King James. Most of you have uh, ESV. I can't, you know how you say no to, or I, uh, the thought of getting a new Bible, like I want to get the SV for my personal study and reading and teaching even, because that's what we hand out. By the way, if you need a Bible, I didn't say this, but just definitely let your knees be known or just head out to the back. There's a shelf full of them. But uh, my Bible has so many notes and stuff. You know, over years you get all these notes and you write them down and stuff, and I have all these things in here. So I'm going to read out of the New King James because I've yet to say, yeah, I'll just switch the ESV because I can't take all my notes with it. With that being said, if you want to follow along, this is an example of waiting. We're going to learn from, from Hannah. We're going to uh, take lessons from her on how to wait well. So that's my goal this morning. How do we wait well? So here's the first book, first chapter, first book of Samuel. There was a certain man of Ramathaim, Sophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. We'll just let that sink in for a second. He had two wives. Uh-oh. We're already we're second verse. It's already going south. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other, Peniah, or Peninnah. She had children, but Hannah had no children. This man, Elkanah, went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of the hosts in Shiloh. That's where the tabernacle was at this time, the tent of meeting. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. Notice, who closed her womb? Everybody? The Lord had closed her womb. That's significant. So it was, year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her. Therefore, Hannah wept and did not eat. 
Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? It's getting worse, isn't it? So Hannah rose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. These are signs of her devoting him as a Nazarite. There's a Nazarite vow in place here. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrow, of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Anybody relate to that kind of place? We're just kind of praying. You don't even know what to say. You can't even speak. You're waiting, but you're waiting in anguish. It says, uh, it says but Hannah answered and said, no, I'm not drunk. I'm pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And so the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. That's awesome. Verse 18. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah's wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. And now the man, Elkanah, and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice in his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have winged him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had winged him, usually about two to three years old. And now when she had winged him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, the skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull, brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here. Praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I have also given him, or lent him, to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the story of waiting. We thank you for the story of promise. We thank you for the story in light of Christmas season that we're in, God. We all have a feeling like feelings like Lev. So, Father, we just pray that you would really illuminate the word to the souls here, to our hearts, that we would not only hear the word, but be doers of it, that we would know and learn our lessons from this this story. God, you've put it in here for a reason, so we want to partake of the bounty that's there for us. And we just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 
This is an example of Hannah, a story that I'm, I'm sure familiar to many of you, but no less, I think, very pertinent to the season that we're in. And in particular, we have the promise, we have the waiting, and then we eventually have the arrival. But in this case, we can relate to Hannah. And number one reason why we can relate to Hannah, there's some reasons in this story I'm sure you guys have already thought about, which is common emotions. Hannah was a real person, and she had emotions that we can all relate to. Number one, she had a lot of pain. Yeah? It's not, it's not hidden in this story. God didn't make it subtle. It's definitely anguish is a great word to describe Hannah's experience. She was going without. In this case, she really didn't even have a promise to go on. But she knew her God, she feared her God, and she was a God-fearing woman. She followed the Lord. It's clear in the text. And you may be asking, why was there a situation where Elkanah, it says he feared the Lord, but he had two wives. And many commentators would think that the reason that that is is because Hannah was first married to him. Not Peninnah, but Hannah. But couldn't conceive. So thereby, in commonality with other stories in the Old Testament, when, the, when a woman could not conceive, uh, there was... And many times, uh, a man would say, okay, I'm going to marry another. Not because necessarily he wanted to. In this case, it says he loved Hannah, and we believe that. But practicality is that he wanted an heir. He wanted someone to pass on the lineage. He was of the Levitical lines. So there's very much an emphasis that I need someone, a son, to pass on my inheritance to and to have a lineage continue. And the, the Lord recognizes that lineage is very important. But in this case, Elkanah is one of those examples of somebody who takes want, okay, takes an area of want and steps in before God moves and says, I'm going to deal with this. Big time warning here, it causes pain when we do that. It causes pain. Not just to our lives, not just brokenness to us, but those around us like Hannah, whom he loved, but there's a practical situation that made him look elsewhere her provision, in this case, a son. And, the, and to add to her pain, we see that he takes another wife and she starts bearing children. So not only do you have Hannah being there in, in, in a place of just feeling, God, what's going on here? I, I've been passed over. I've been passed up for someone else. And now that womb is producing and my womb stand, stands barren. And so you, you get this painful environment, you know, that I'm sure it led to self-doubt, which we can all relate to. When things don't go as you want them to, we start looking internally and saying, what's wrong with me? Especially dealing in the areas of children. You know, there's certain things you can control, but in, in the case of conceiving, who has ultimate control in that situation? No one. No one does. That's why it was totally looked upon in this, uh, in this way. That if you conceived, if you bore children, you were blessed. If you did not, because you cannot control this, if you did not conceive, then you were not blessed from God. And in the case of Hannah, probably self-doubting, saying, I'm actually on God's naughty list. I'm not in the blessed group. I'm not, for whatever reason, being given what I desire most, to be a mom. And some of you uh, men and women know what that's like, to want children and not even be able to have them for whatever reason, you can't control that as much as you'd want to experience the joy of children. That's a painful thing. But then it's no doubt leads us, if not in this particular example, one that's related to that in your life, whatever that may be, we start looking inward and saying, what's wrong with me? I'll give you a perfect example of this. When, um, when Wendy and I were, uh, were first starting to date, 
uh, we got together and, 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 and we had a long time of dating, seemingly long then, more long uh, than we would want to, but it was a few years before I got married, thereabouts. But we had people come behind us, start dating, and they were getting married before I'd even popped the question to her. So it was really, it was, it was quite painful to go to wedding when what you want to do is get married, but I didn't feel released from the Lord, so I wasn't asking her, but it was very painful to go to weddings and have to celebrate an occasion which reminds you of your own lacking, your own wanting. You guys can relate to this too, right? It's a story you can relate to. God, I want this or that, or I'm, I'm waiting, or even I've been promised, but it's not, you're, not, you're not bringing it yet. And, and when you're in that situation, it causes a lot of self-doubt. Next one, you compare yourself to others, which goes hand in hand with that. Boy, the freedom not to compare ourselves to other people, the freedom that comes with that. The problem is we're flesh. We do that all the time. It's just natural. How come Penina is getting the children and, and it would seem, via the story that's given to us here, real people, that Penina was not a nice person. So not only, it's kind of like the book of Habakkuk. God, how long are the evil going to prosper? Why, am, why are the God-fearers in second? Why aren't, why aren't we seeing Christians around the world prosper? Why, why does it seem like this other group or such and such is advancing? What, it's, that, there's a justice issue that comes out uh, go back to the other one first, if you would. There's a justice issue that comes out when we compare ourselves to others. Uh, the problem is here, oftentimes, is that we put ourselves up here and everybody else down here. Because when you compare yourself to others, you tend to look good, don't you? Especially when you want something. God, why not? Now, Hannah, I'm not saying Hannah was in that place. Like she had an evil intent, but we can get there, can't we, pretty quick. Why? Because our desires lead the way, oftentimes. Okay, also, there's a lot of joy for Hannah in this story. She actually did receive a blessing, as we see, uh, as she, she has Samuel. He's, in a, he's a, a personification of her uh, answer to prayer. But there's also depression. You know, she wasn't eating, right? She wasn't, um, uh, I don't imagine she was sleeping very well, but definitely forgoing food. She, you just get to that point when you're waiting for something and it's not coming Depression often is a result. And then it says, literally, I'm a woman. She says this, I'm a woman in, in anguish. And then thirdly, she's being accused of being drunk by the high priest there at the tabernacle. So even as she's coming to worship, give her heart to God, pray before him. She's having this intimate time with the Lord, giving her heart to him. Somebody comes along, a, a, a Christian, or excuse me, a Jewish leader, and says, you're not even right with God. Fact. You're sinning big time right now. You're coming drunk. Totally misunderstood. And, 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 and you guys, there's so many times where it's like we can't, we, we're in this place. See if you've ever uttered this. Especially in Christmas. No one knows what I'm going through. Even if your situation is the same as somebody else, no one knows I'm going through is true. That's why as, as, as caring believers, we should never go into a situation where someone's suffering and say, I know how you're feeling. Because more times than not, the response, at least in the head of somebody who's suffering, is, no, you don't. And that's okay. Who does know what it's like to be suffering as we are? Who does? Jesus. Crazy thing about Jesus is that he chose to suffer. You worship, I worship a God who chose 
to suffer. What an amazing truth that goes along with the Christmas season. He comes in the form of a babe in a manger with animals around him. He chose to to suffer from the very get-go. They couldn't find a place for him to be born. So he ends up in a stable. Next one. We can relate to Hannah because of her difficult life experience. We know why. But ridiculed, salt in the wound. Peninnah is rubbing it in, right? In the verse, it says in verse 5, or excuse me, verse 6, her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable. Her whole intent was to make her miserable. Boy, you, you want a person close to you like that, don't you? Just can, Lord, can, can I just bless her? Okay, can I just get a pause right here and just say, ah, never mind, I'm not going to waste time. I was in Vons. I got ridiculed. My family was laughing at me because they didn't handle it very well. The lady in back of me in line starts going in on me being on my, on my phone. I'll go into it, huh? I can't help it. I'm still in the flesh. <laughs> I was ridiculed severely in Vons by an old lady. Just, just this, this is bonus comment. It'll resonate. Hopefully you won't remember this more than the, the intent of the message this morning. But she says... You know, it would go a lot faster if you put the phone down and use both of your hands. What? I shall be righteous, Lord, and handle this appropriately. I said, you know, you're right. If I put my phone down, I have not one but two hands. And then I said, Merry Christmas. And And then the lady behind her started in, too. Yeah, if he wanted to finish his conversation, or if he wanted to talk on the phone, he should have walked around the store until he was done before he came to the front of the line and made us wait. I'm like, what's going on right now? I tell you, it was just like Hannah, unjust ridicule. I failed the test miserably. Sorry about that. My family's like, I can't believe this. He's like, they weren't with me, thankfully. Okay, what can we learn from Hannah? What did that story have to do with anything? God's just... Silly, I realize. Well, number one, she needs God and she goes to him. Hannah needs God. She realizes that. She goes to him. I'll say it again. God is the source of the provision. Even when it's no, God's still the source. So we go to her. We go to him. Excuse me. She goes to him. She goes and she vows. Now, this kind of seems like, eh, first reading, is Hannah just negotiating with God? Is it like, hey, God, if you, if you give me what I want, uh, I'll do this, right? I'll devote. I'll be, I'll be faithful. I'll go to church every Sunday. Like, that's the kind of deal. It's like, no, not necessarily. Why? Because we see her going to the Lord in dependence of him, praying to him, pouring out her heart to him. And yes, being a child of God allows us the freedom to actually say, Lord, this is what I'm desiring. This is where my heart's at. This is why it hurts. This is what I want. Lord, you're a father. It's okay if I ask you for these things. She knew God so well that she actually knew where to go for the provision that she most desired. And she was able to lay her heart in such a way, and I see this out of the text, is this to say, Lord, this, this stinks. You know why I've been so free in my Christian walk to actually be honest with God and to tell him when it really hurts, that it, it really stinks in this God, is because none other than Jesus Christ himself was that way with the Father. Father, if there's any way you could take this cup from me, let it pass over me, then do it. Now, he didn't stop there, did he? This is the key. He's like, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours will be done. That's, that's what we do. We're honest about how we're feeling. We don't have to be, quote, unquote, 
pious to the point we try and convince God of God. I'm so like removed from the pain that I can come to you in true holiness. No, true holiness is we come raw and we say, God, this is what I'm suffering. And it, and it, and it does not feel like Christmas. It does not feel, it's like Lev, I want it to be Christmas, God. And just like Lev's father, Jake, well, in this case, he's filming it and then sharing it on Facebook. God wouldn't do that. But, but in all seriousness, we have a father. We have a father. We have a daddy. We have an Abba. And he loves us. And he cares about us. And he's already made it for us to have a Christmas. We're just waiting. We're just waiting. Uh, she goes to the tabernacle where others who love God are. This is key, you guys. Some of us tend in our suffering to close up and say, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toughen up and I'm not going to share my suffering with other people in the body. I would say that's a mistake. There's some times where God would put it like, hey, this needs to stay private for a while. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about a general disposition that says, my suffering is just for me and I'm going to handle it. And, and we miss out on the blessing of community. Hannah goes to the tabernacle with her heart laid bare. She ends up misunderstood by people there, and that happens to us too, doesn't it? It's very common. We're misunderstood. We don't have enough faith, or, or, or you know, become, our prayer requests become fuel for gossip. You know, those kind of things are possible, but, but really the place of others is a place of comfort. The place of others is a place of, of, of strength. And, and one of the times I, I think of, and I think I've shared this before actually, is um, our youngest son was in the hospital at ICU. Uh, for a week, he was about a year old, a little over a year, and he got a blood infection, and we were in the hospital for a good week. We didn't know. Doctors were talking about, yeah, it could be um, mortal, you know, it could be fatal, and, uh, and so that was really, a really difficult time for us. We had two miscarriages before Davis was born, so, so it was really this roller coaster of like, does, does God want us to have another one? Does he want us to adopt, et cetera, et cetera. We're waiting. We're waiting to see. Literally, we we. Just like Lord, we don't, we know, we just want to know Your will in this whole thing. It's very up and down roller coaster emotions, the whole nine yards. This stinks, God. And then we, and then we do have the promise. That's next week's message, the promise. We do, in this case, have the promise of our son Davis. And then he gets sick with this infection. They didn't know what it was. So we're in the hospital, and in, in the second time they did, they did a round of tests that included a, a spinal tap. You guys are familiar with spinal taps. You don't want one. If you have to have one, they got to heavily sedate you. But they had to do a second one on him. He's only a year old. And then I remember in the, in the in Sierra Vista, uh, my wife and I were there. And, you know, our waiting, uh, if you will, was to see, God, is he going to come out of this? And I, I just remember praying to God. Talk about being honest. I just remember praying over and over and over and over again. God, is it cool if you just let us have him for longer? I mean, I just, I just felt like it was okay to just pray honestly. Lord, can we keep him longer? The year has been awesome. And some people don't, don't have the blessing of keeping their kids. They go back to you, God. But, but is it okay if he just stays with us longer? And so they told us to leave the emergency or the ICU when they had to do the second spinal tap on him because they were still trying to identify what was going on. And I remember my wife and I walk out, and I was just at that point at the lowest of the low points. And, and sometimes you go to the tabernacle, but get this, you guys, sometimes God brings a tabernacle to you. And I remember walking down the hallway with my wife, and we were, we were so cut down to the core of just rawness. And I remember uh, 
just at that lowest point, like, God, we just need somebody. And then the, uh, we got to the elevator to go downstairs, and, and the elevator opens up, and it's Dave and Roxanne Foote, our missions pastor and his wife. And literally, it was one of those times we just collapsed into them. I don't know how they held this up. It was just like, ah, oh, the tabernacle's here, that kind of feeling, like, like, thank you, Jesus. And they just prayed over us. And they didn't say, hey, we know what it's like. They just prayed. God, would you come? Would you settle? Would you heal? It's okay to ask honestly when you pray for people. Can you heal, Lord? Would you heal Davis? And ultimately, after a week, he came home with us, and we did get to keep him. He's 12 today. And it still takes me back to that time, Lord. It was like I couldn't even utter a prayer like Hannah. And in this case, he brought the tabernacle to us. So I'd encourage you, as you guys go through things, as you're waiting upon the Lord, don't keep it private if at all possible. Share it with the body. And even if in those moments you're like, Lord, for whatever reason I can't, just say, Lord, if you want me to, bring somebody by my way to share this with that can bear some of this weight too. It's a beautiful thing, is it not, when you see the body of Christ acting as it shall. And, and in times of holidays like Christmas, you guys, there's a lot of people around us that you wouldn't even know are hurting. So the sensitivity requirement is this, for us to not get so much involved in our lives, but to actually have our eyes wide to the Hannahs that are suffering. And if you're suffering even this morning, I encourage you after, after I'm done here just to get prayer from another. It usually is, it starts there, just going to somebody and say, will you pray for me? We always have people after the services over here on the side to pray with you. Don't keep it private if the Lord's calling you to share it. Share the burden. Share those things that are difficult in the, the waiting. It's amazing what he does. Okay, moving on. What can we learn from her in this waiting time as we're waiting I promise at the end here I'll, I'll bring it back to Christmas and waiting for the Savior. But for now, let's go over a couple things. She needs God. She goes to him. Okay? She vows. She goes to the tabernacle. She prays. She asks. She keeps asking. She keeps praying. Some people would want to know, for example, how long do you do that? Is it okay to keep asking? Is it okay? Is there some point where God gives you the peace to stop asking? I think, yeah. It's either yes, no, or not yet. But all we're told by Jesus in this case is to keep asking. The, the ask, seek, and knock, right? It's a continual asking. And it's okay to do that. Okay, the next slide. God responds. Praise the Lord, our God hears us. And praise the Lord, God responds. Samuel is named after God heard me. God heard me. He heard my, my cries, my prayers. He heard, hears the honest, heartfelt cry. And he provides an answer. You guys can think of uh, different passages that are quoted during this season uh, from the book of Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah. Anybody happen to know how many years before Christ came, the virgin is going to give birth to a son? That son is going to rule. That son is going to reign, according to the prophet Isaiah. Anybody have any idea how long they waited between the promise of the deliverer Jesus from the book of Isaiah itself to the time where Jesus came on the scene. Talk about waiting. Somebody say it loud. 600? 400? About 700 years. About 680. 700 years. Between God saying, I'm going to bring a deliverer, and deliverer arriving with angels proclaiming that the the blessed one had come. Can you imagine? And then in, in between, there's like, this period of time where God stops speaking. So not only are they waiting for the promises that are, that are given in God's word, some, how many generations is that? I didn't do the math. Six? Well, 
I don't know. You guys, math majors, can figure that out. But anyway, there's a lot of generations that go between this. But then there's a period of time where God was not speaking. The difference, or the difference in timing between the Old Testament and New Testament, when we see Jesus arrive, there had been literally silence from God and, and no hope from his mouth or from a prophet coming on the scene say, hey, you only got two more days to wait, or you only got two more years to wait. Well, hold on, we just one more lifespan, and then we're into the Savior coming. There's none of that. So these guys, are op- these guys and gals are operating on this. They had the promises of God, and they knew it was true. You guys, we have the promises of God, and you got to know it's true. Okay, I'm going to do, do this. Unlike our church, say to yourself right now, out loud, I have the promises of God. Say it one more time. I have the promises of God. He's going to be faithful to bring them about. Jesus came. In this Advent season, Jesus came. Hallelujah. We can say one of that. You know, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's okay. All right. We have the promises of God. No matter the pain, no matter the waiting, it's difficult. The waiting is the hardest part. The waiting is the hardest part. And yet, God is moving. Guys, when you watch the news, I mean, this news, this season, I don't know what it is. It's especially heavy. The racial tensions. Uh, Cal, they just had a few uh, cardboard cutouts of black people being hanged in front of their campus. I mean, just, just these things, these images. You're like, this is nothing like Christmas. It's like uh, Lord, uh, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's like, it's always winter. It's never Christmas. It's like there's that feeling. It just comes overwhelming to you. You have to go back to the place of, I have the promises of God. And he's faithful to bring those promises to pass. And if we doubt it, we look at the Savior's cross and we say, you're serious, so serious to bring these to fruition that actually it's written in blood. It's promised in blood. You know, the early church would say, Maranatha, ah, come quickly, Lord. And then somebody would really ridicule and say, some of these promises seem really slow in their, in their fulfillment, God. Let's not sin like that, you guys. God's got his timetable. Things are moving in a direction. There will be Christmas. Our cries like Lev are going to be answered, and there will one day be no, no more pain, no more suffering. Here's another crazy thought just to put in your stocking this year. As you, as, as you wait for healing, for physical ailments, okay, uh, diagnosis has come. And, and boy, your prayer life has never seen fire like when you get a diagnosis. It's just you realize my life is, is this short. It goes like that. And potentially, whatever situation, this could kill me. You know, some of us in this room have faced that reality. I'm going to die or I'm probably likely going to die unless God intervenes. Can I tell you, the worst thing that can happen to you is not death. The thing we fear most is not the worst thing. Death, physical death, is not the worst thing. Here's the worst thing, condemnation, when you die. Condemnation. Now, here's a promise to bank on. There is therefore no what? There's no, therefore no what? The worst possible scenario, there's therefore not in the case of a Christian, no condemnation to those who are in whom? Christ Jesus. Beautiful. The waiting is helped. 
when you go back to the promises of the Savior. And you and me, as we're found in Christ, we put our faith in him, the one who went to the cross, the one who came as a babe, went to a cross, ascended to heaven, is promised to come. In the book of Acts, first chapter, he's like, the same way he went, he's going to come back. We're banking on that. We're banking on that. Because he fulfills his promises. And we, the worst case scenario, even if God doesn't give us our heart's cry for deliverance, even in, in scenarios like, I'm going to die unless God intervenes, even when he says no, he's got a bigger plan that's already been accomplished. That we don't face condemnation. Because condemnation, to be turned away from your creator for all eternity, is something none of us want to experience. Praise God he did something about it. Praise God the waiting was, was solved. He did send Jesus. Jesus came in the form of a babe, not that he could stay one, but that he could give his life as a ransom for many. I just want to close on this. I just want to review you that the Bible is full of waiting. I don't want to go into a slide to others in the Bible who waited, Lauren. Just jump to that one, and we'll close here. I just want to give you a quick reminder of waiting. What a popular theme this is for God to talk about. Abraham waited for a son, ends up getting Isaac. And Isaac, he says, I want you to take, up, take him up and give him back to me. And he did. He was willing to go there. God ultimately said, hey, I don't want you to lay a hand on the boy. But here's the promise fulfilled. And then God says, you're going to give it back to me. Ooh, that's hard. That is hard. To actually wait, to get, and then to give back. But truly... There's blessing in that, isn't there? Everything belongs to God. Next is Israel. We talked about 700 years. They're about waiting for the Savior to come on the scene. But also wandering in the desert for 40 between Egypt and the promised land. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Uh, the church, obviously. Jesus is coming back. He's going to write things that are wrong. Those scriptures that have yet to be fulfilled, we're waiting for that. Paul the Apostle uh, you know, God said directly, Paul, you've, you've prayed three times, or Paul says this, I prayed three times that this uh, messenger of Satan, this, this thorn in the flesh to buffet me, I prayed that God would take it. And he says, Paul, what, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, the waiting, you're going to get through the waiting because I have grace on your life. And you, that's the power that comes when you're waiting. The world, even the whole creation waits and groans for the sons of God to be revealed. You guys know that scripture? It's, it's a fallen world. It's a broken world. It's waiting. But then ultimately, even our Savior, and I want to leave you with this, guys. Even our Savior waited. When did he wait? I just have a few things that come to my mind. Is one is fasting in the desert, 40 days, 40 nights. He was there in the desert waiting on his father, going without food. It, 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 he, he, in a sense, emptied himself completely, waiting for that period to end. But not only that, obviously, we know that he waited uh, in terms of he didn't even start his ministry until he was 30, thereabouts. 30 years of just being a carpenter. Of like, God, I know I have a mission. Father, I know I have a mission. I'm about that. But he had to wait for that to even come close to happening. And then thirdly, he's in the garden. He's in the garden and he's on the cross. And Jesus utters some powerful words. And I'd love the worship team to come up now, actually. Jesus utters some powerful words on the cross. And the words are, I don't know why I remember this in its language, but I think it's beautiful. It's just Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And what does that mean? It's a quote from the psalmist. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? 
Not that Jesus didn't know the answers to that. But it was an expression of, I'm waiting, and this is horrible. This is, talk about the Savior going through a time of waiting. Can you imagine being on the cross and that whole thing that transpired for our sake, for our benefit, for our well-being, for our healing? The chastisement, the punishment was put on the Savior. He knows what it is to wait. So he's there for you. He's there for me as we wait for him to be Christmas. Guys, we have, we've hit the lotto so many times, haven't we? God's faithful. One more time, as we all stand together, just say this. I have your promises, God. Even as we worship, celebrate that you have God's promises. And next week, we're going to continue the series with the arrival. So as we're in this Christmas time and this Christmas season, just encourage you to continue this discussion with your family, with friends, with those who don't know the Lord. We can all identify this is a broken world, but we have the promises of God. And though it takes 700 years to come to pass, we know he's true to keep what he's promised. If you need prayer, anything, any waiting scenario, any painful things you guys are going through, let's be like Hannah. Let's go to the tabernacle. Let's go to his throne. I encourage you guys to uh, continue in prayer. And then we have communion elements in the back too. So you can celebrate the fact that God chose suffering in his stead so that we could know deliverance and freedom and peace and acceptance in him. So let's pray.